Fusion Patrol is a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can help support us at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. This is the Fusion Patrol podcast. Each week, we look at a different science fiction TV episode or movie and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we're looking at the Doom Watch episode, Hair Trigger. And I have to say, when I first heard the name of this episode, I thought it was Hair Trigger. And I thought it was about a Nazi German weapons uh, munitions expert. But um, I think it's it was done in a low, low. Uh, it probably was. It probably was. Um, I never watched the show. Well, I watched one episode and I thought, yeah, no. <laughs> so, episode synopsis. Mm. For reasons never adequately explained, Dr. Anne Tarrant is visiting the Weather Oak Maximum Security Medical Research Facility, where she is given demonstrations of a new cutting-edge technological procedure being tested on psychiatric patients. The director, Dr. Hetherington, and lead psychiatrist, Dr. McEwen, are very proud of their technological marvel, electronically stimulating the pleasure centers of the human brain to modify undesirable behavior. Dr. Tarrant is horrified by the obscene abomination. She uses her insider's track to Quist to try to get him to look into it. But he insists that it doesn't sound so bad, and anyway, it is absolutely not within Doomwatch's remit. Hetherington visits the minister. His treatment is 100% successful, and he's facing a lot of kickback from old-school Freudian psychiatrists who are threatened by his new no-therapy treatment. There's an appropriations meeting coming up next week, and his technique could save immense amounts of money to the healthcare system. We wouldn't want anything to go wrong. What could go wrong? Oh, did I mention one of those old-school Freudians stopped by my facility and didn't like what she saw? It was Dr. Anne Tarrant. The minister's face is priceless. Soon, he's on the phone to Quist, just to let him know he's thinking about him. And uh, we wouldn't want any setbacks to Dr. Hetherington's work. Now, Quist is interested. Meanwhile, Dr. Tarrant is talking with Dr. McGowan. She wants to evaluate his patient, Mr. Beavis, a violent sociopath cured by his technique. Beavis has been fitted with radio receivers. When his brain starts to exhibit violent patterns, he is pacified by the computer. Beavis is eager to talk with Dr. Tarrant. He's very proud of his cure. Tarrant takes him for a walk on the grounds and pushes him about his background. He doesn't want to talk about it, but rather wants to talk about his treatment. She continues to push, and he gets violent. Back in the control room, they watch as the computer pacifies him. Unknown to them in the struggle, he was disconnected from the receiver. Dr. Tarrant falls and hits her head, and Beavis, panicked, runs to escape. Later, Beavis rips the remaining equipment off and throws it away, finds a small farmhouse and takes a woman and her children hostage at shotgun point. He is beginning to confuse the woman with his wife, whom he murdered. He is waiting for Dr. McGowan. When McGowan arrives, 
Bevis releases the hostages in exchange for McEwen coming into the house with him. While Quist, Tarrant, and the police wait outside, they hear the sound of a shotgun. McEwen comes out. Bevis killed himself with a shotgun blast to the heart. He also left a final will, leaving his brain to Dr. McEwen so that he can figure out why he went wrong. So, hair trigger. Kind of actually, I felt it was a little bit of a throwback. Doom Watch episode. You mean because here. it's not about pollution? It's not about pollution. Uh, Doom Watch, Quist is not the slightest bit concerned about this technological marvel uh, that's going on. Um, you know, and, and besides that, it's not part of Doomwatch's job anyway, so let's just leave that one alone. And and it also does have kind of that uh, ethical issue about what what we could do. It's kind of like in the dark, where what, what can we do with technology and what are the implications for the for the human race along the way. So what what did you think of this episode? Well, I I, I agree it has some of those themes. I mean, I quite, I quite enjoyed the episode. It, it's, it seems to me it's another well-constructed episode. So it, it feels much more like, well, back in series one, it was kind of quite uneven. And then in series two, where you've got some episodes of just absolute genius, it feels like from what we're glimpsing of season three, there's a quite well-oiled machine turning out thrillers that um, have some sort of techno or futuristic basis and obviously the the thing the thing here is is i'm trying to work out what what the thing actually is because it struck me when i was when i was mulling this over since watching it that the kind of the the ethical issue that they're that they're digging into the kind of doom they're watching i guess is that the brain is being controlled by electronics it's the the the, the, the there is a, there's a, there's an electronic solution that is regulating the brain in other words mm-hmm. and the issue the issue with this is framed in terms of it of of it being of it not of it not really providing a a cure as such whatever that means it's it's essentially providing a a way of controlling the 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 kind of psychopathic tendencies if you like would this episode have been any different if rather than electronic regulation of the brain it had been a chemical regulation of the brain um, so when i watched this episode i i was struck well, one by the question is, is this really a bad thing? But the 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 second thing that stands out to me is I believe that Anne Tarrant is a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. I believe she has been explicitly called a psychiatrist. But in modern parlance, a psychiatrist is a pill pusher and a psychologist is a therapist. At least that is my experience with the at least the american healthcare system and you see a psychiatrist for chemical regulation in conjunction with a psychologist for therapy and Anne seems to be taking the no therapy is the answer and in fact because they keep referring it to freudian which is basically outdated anyway um you know i don't i don't think they refer to psychologists as 
Freudian anymore. I don't think anybody falls in that camp. It's it's so outdated. Um, you know, it, it, it may be the foundation that they were built upon, but it, it has progressed so much from that time that it's really hard to differentiate the, the archaic world that we're looking at. Um, because, yeah, you're, you're right. Would they be poo-pooing chemical treatment? I think they would. I think I, there is a little bit of a discussion from Hetherington about that, but I get the distinct impression that the therapists are clearly against that too. And this is just hmm. a, a, a carry-on from that. And so we are talking about the people who are trying to delve into the mind and trying to to fix the problem through therapy and which they see as a cure versus the people who are trying to make it so that you can be a functional person through chemical modification. And we now know that a lot of problems that people have are chemical imbalances. So, so the, there is, and, and there is to this day, there is a stigma about, oh, taking your meds for having uh, psychological issues. And some people still see that as a failing. Um, and it isn't. Right. Certainly, I mean, certainly isn't. Well, no, because you wouldn't think it was a failing if you if you had physical health issues, you wouldn't. Correct. Go, well, I'm not going to. It's a it's a failing for me to take my medication for that. But just because it's a mental health issue, it would be a failing to to take the med medication. Although I, exactly. I, I agree with you that stigma is around and there's there's no doubt about that. Oh, it's it, it's real. But there shouldn't. I mean, it shouldn't be. Yeah. yeah. If I, I guess there is. All right, I'll try to play the devil's advocate. There is potentially the argument, potentially, that says if you can be treated, then you don't need to be cured, right? And then there's that whole thing is about whether or not doctors are there to cure you or whether doctors are there to prolong your treatment so they continue to get a revenue stream. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I don't... I, I don't subscribe to that theory. I mean, if that's what it takes... Uh, I. I don't well, know that yes, I'm but I mean, that therapy has ever cured people. There's a, there, well, so, I, I, no, no, I wouldn't go. I, I wouldn't go that far. I think there's a much more nuanced take on this, which is that if you're a medical doctor, so if you're the terminology is going to be interesting here. I, I don't, th I don't recognise the distinction you made between psychiatry and psychology. I'm not an expert in it, but I think there may be slight differences between the terminology. On your side of the pond and ours could be and it could be and uh that that you know that may extend to uh physicians of physical health um but but so let me put it this way if you if you're if you're a medic who is concerned with someone's physical health then you you may you may have options for treating them one of which may be a long-term dependence on medication and and one of them uh, it, it, you know, in order essentially to treat the symptoms of some underlying problem, and the other may be to treat the underlying problem in order to rid yourself even the need of having to take the long-term treatment. And there isn't necessarily a simple answer to one always being better than the other. It depends on the particulars of the situation, because whatever you do, there will be side effects and costs associated with the choice you make. And I think that uh, 
a mature approach to mental health would be to recognize that the same thing applies and no one approach is always going to be better than the other the problem is people thinking that you know one is inherently better than the other yeah so i i'm i'm in a way i'm very much not on Anne's side in this well argument that but where where i am i mean where i do come think that there's some wiggle room on this is i'm concerned about the way that they do it okay well the the bit about stimulating the pleasure centers of the brain and she even brings up the possibility of what about addiction and they go oh we can we can condition them against that but if if you were a violent psychopath and you were under control as beavis was and you got a big jolt of the joy juice every time you got violent uh (laughs) isn't that just possible that he might look for ways to get violent just so that he could get the jolt Uh, and that that's the part that's kind of i don't know if that's the right approach but 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 it doesn't intrinsically mean that electronically modifying the brain is a wrong approach it's just that maybe that particular one sounds a little fraught with trouble Uh, yes although i mean that obviously gets into the uh, technical psychological specifics of how it works which is somewhat glossed over which is which is why i'm interested in the in the distinction because i think because i think that a lot of the a lot of the kind of doom watch doom predictions have been interesting precisely because when we are sitting here from the vantage point of 50 years in the future we can look at a load of them and go my god you know you were right you were right on the money when most people weren't even thinking about this and occasionally there's a miss in the sense of well you know that didn't really happen or there's there's nothing like this and i'm looking at this and thinking well essentially there is nothing like this if you consider it to be the the specific technical application that they were employing i.e that it is an electronic solution but if you consider it as chemical modification of the brain actually this is very much commonplace now and accepted and so from that point of view i am i am interested in in what 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 ann tarrant's perspective on this is and in, in terms of whether as a psychiatrist she does or as a psychiatrist in 1972 whether she does treat people using using uh, pre- prescribing medication that would chemically alter their brain because i don't i mean i don't know not only do i know very little about psychiatry in the present day i don't know how it has changed and evolved over the last 50 years but i do think that she is not necessarily portrayed as being on the right side of this argument i think that's deliberate that's a good question i Ooh, i don't know i kind of get the impression that she's supposed to be portrayed as being on the right side of this argument but that the argument is not 100 percent right and wrong because i think okay maybe she's at the end 60 percent on the right side i I think at the end the scene where McEwen points out to be this 
Um, <clears throat> and I'm just going to say I've been calling him Beavis, but it sounds like they're saying Bevis. But when when I saw the name written in the end credits, it looked like Beavis. So that could just be an American versus I don't know. But anyway, Beavis, Bevis, Mr. Mr. Beavis. Crazy Guy. I oh, OK, maybe, maybe uh, Mr. Bevis, you know, it, 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 it could come out weird to me anyway. Neither there. When he has that scene where he says to him, yeah, but you didn't, you know, you didn't kill the woman. You didn't. Yeah. Say you did control yourself. It does imply that even though this therapy is not or this treatment is not therapy or that it is not meant to be a, a, a it's not meant to be a remedy it's not meant to fix the problem it's meant to to ameliorate the problem and somehow it actually has made a difference and that this man's condition has actually improved under these uh under these uh tests so that makes me think that you know they're not the writer is not unsympathetic to it no, At I think 100%. I think McEwen is 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 portrayed relatively sympathetically. I mean, I I did wonder about the ending because obviously we don't see what happens, and part partly we don't see what happens is because think about what Mary Whitehouse Drama. would have said in 1972 if we'd seen Beavis's brains being splattered all over the walls. But there is also well. the question of what McEwen said to Beavis and whether the outcome is actually quite convenient for him because it's sort of, oh, it's not his brain well, everywhere because of course his brain is being left um, for okay, medical examination. So it, it, it gets rid of his problem and it gives him uh, the, the essential, uh, the, the research artifact that's going to help him in the future. Well, I mean, okay. So for starters, we know that the Beavis, demanded the piece of paper from the woman long before McEwen got there. So Beavis had already committed to his course of action before McEwen arrived. He was going to kill himself. Oh, That's yeah, what he wrote. Point. So that, that was never in any question. We didn't know what he was writing, but, you know, subsequently when he held up the note, he said this was his will and he left his brain to me. So we know that that's yeah. what he intended to do. Well, the reason they didn't show it... And, and I think the, the reason that we didn't see what happened is drama. It's far more interesting for the audience to be out there and hear the gunshot and think he murdered McEwen because he's a dangerous psychopath. Yeah. So there's, there's that. And then just point on the technicality thing. I'm not an expert. I've never been an expert. I have fired shotguns before. I will say, and I do not think that it would be particularly easy for a person to shoot themselves in the heart with a shotgun, which he did say, which is, he uh, which unless is another he like I was wondering. propped it up against the wall, leaned his body against it and pushed across to hit the trigger. But, but uh, <laughs> that was a little bit weird, but no, I don't think McGowan killed him. I, I don't think McGowan pushed it. I think that was, I think that was what it was all about. And it, it's further sign that Bavis knew it, Beavis was in more control of himself than perhaps he had been prior to the treatment. He certainly seemed very vested in it. He certainly seemed very pleased with the treatment. And I, and is, do we think that's genuine? Yeah. Do we think he really, he really is? I'm, I'm really happy that I'm not running around killing people. Uh, this is fantastic. 
Um, and not just because, hey, every once in a while I get a jolt of the joy juice and that's a lot of fun. Um, which really his expression when he was pushed up against the window earlier in the episode was disturbing at best. <laughs> a little drool would have just made that a bit worse, but it was. Um, I, th there is one other thing that made me think that that the writer was definitely on Anne's side. And that was McEwen's conversation with Quist, where he was basically implying that, sure, right now we've got a human hooked up to a computer and all it does is a little bit of feedback to uh, regulate violent behavior, but we can go so much further with this. Man and computer, the augmented brain. And this was the first step towards a cyber interface. And, and he was implying that that yes. was down the road. So Direct dialogue between brain and computer. Yeah. So it, it was, it was um, which is, has nothing, nothing at all to do with uh, treatment of psychiatric patients and everything to do about changing what it is to be a human being. Well, it is, fits but, with then, that but then the, the, the conclusion I came to about why this is, why this is different from chemical treatment, um, which I don't, I, I don't know whether I felt was something that was actually intended in the episode, but to me, it is an important distinction, was that the computer, the, the, the electronic part of the way the brain was being regulated was by a computer that was under someone else's control it was like your your psychiatric patient certainly once they're sort of released into the community decides to take their meds i mean it may be a condition of their release that they commit to but whatever the, there is there is some element there still of autonomy um and it would be possible to imagine an electronic solution where there were particularly now where there was some kind of a microcomputer built into whatever the actual receptor was that Beavis was wearing. But that wasn't what we had here. What we had here was a computer that was external to him. And the point was made, um, as one of the first things that Quist said when he saw it, was that it's remote control. So what you've, what you've actually got here is the apparatus for remote controlling another human being and and the, the computer and in particular that remote control is under the operation of someone else and so in a sense what you've got here is very much like the plot of the avengers episode return of the cybernauts where right you have the ability to take over you know to to, to for essentially a, a machine or or someone remote controlling to control the the body of someone else and that that is the potentially worrying part of it right and it's funny that they didn't play that up more i, yes. I didn't feel like that, that that was that was you know laid out in typical doom watch fashion they did at one point call these people like robots but they never any point did somebody say what if we had the minister wired up like this <laughs> and every time somebody came along and wanted Doomwatch to stop investigating something, they gave him a they gave him a jolt that uh, to control the him. Plot of a of a Neil Stevenson novel, I believe. So I, I I could 
it's totally a, a valid concern and it, it is it is very much um a worry but um, but it's I, not, I it's not, it's not the worry it. that they go with. What the, the worry that they right. go with, which is partly why I, I come back to my original point about them being very adept at making a well-constructed thriller out of these things, is not, nothing inherent about the technology. It's just what if it becomes unplugged, which is which is like a a problem with the implementation that could be easily remedied in some way it just gives you some kind of immediate drama to actually bring the episode to a climax right um i i think i'm going to take a slight aside here and say that we are also looking at 1972 and i have been trying to look up the treatment of chemical uh therapy and eh, not really um the the stuff that is in in action today starting in the 80s like prozac okay invented in the 70s but not even into into operation until the until the 80s and i'm not finding a lot prior to the 80s so actually Um, the episode was in some ways spot on it was just that they picked electronic rather than chemical but but he did mention chemicals, so there must be something that I'm missing. I'm I'm not finding a really great timeline here, but um, it's probably pretty hard to research instantly while you're trying to podcast at the same time. It, it, it's shockingly difficult, uh, <laughs> especially well, without my keyboard. <laughs> especially with my keyboard, which uh, makes so much noise that you have to you have to stealth type on it. But uh, yeah, no. So it, it again, we are looking at a world that perhaps we can't even relate to we we can't set ourselves in the mind of going what was it what was it like at this point in time i can imagine them without without that i mean that was why I, that was why I, the question immediately occurred to me whether the whether the episode would be different if it were about chemical chemical regulation rather than electronic regulation well it didn't immediately occur to me but that that was where the thought came from, and didn't they? If, they had electroshock therapy back then, though. Well, I'm thinking uh, one play of the lobotomies was was written in. Yeah, it was written in the 60s, wasn't it? Probably. So late could could 60s, you imagine? So. Could you imagine Doctor Tarrant taking a position of no, it's therapy versus electroshock, and then I think it's pretty clear that you know we would be taking the side of the therapy. Yeah, probably. so well, it I could mean, be that the treatments to the brain were so the physical treatments to the brain were so crude. Looking at this in 1972, that that this this seems more obvious. Yeah, and it, and, and it and it do, and it does see it does seem quite appealing. And I think in I think in some ways that is why that is why they have to play up more more, more than the fact that I think that I think Anne Tarrant is being shown to be overly sympathetic. Is they have to play up the disadvantages of this because it does seem too good to be true. Um, <laughs> and then they miss the important disadvantages. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and when yeah. they're, well, but when they're, when they're talking about the disadvantage, they, br- they bring, I think this is the minister bring, talking about uh, chlorination, fluoridation and vaccination. And I, I heard that and I was, mm-hmm. I was actually struggling to make the connection there. I mean, I couldn't, I, I can, I understand 
I understand the arguments that connect those because they're all they're all public health measures that affect us all and benefit us all in the same way. Like and... coronating chickens. <laughs> See, <laughs> it just just depends on who your doctor is. I'm not sure. I'm not expert. Is I think I think I think there are ways of avoiding there are ways of avoiding the downsides of unchlorinated, disease-ridden chicken that don't involve chlorinating disease-ridden chicken. Um, <laughs> Chlorinating water, on the other hand, has a massive benefit, and mm. you can't you can't do it for the individual. You have to do it for everyone. Same goes for vaccination, etc. Fluoridation, et yeah. I can't see what the parallel is here. Do, do you not see that the parallel is that in some instances, uh, vaccination? I don't know. All right, I'll, I'll I'll try to step back from the vax debate for a second. The chlorination and the fluoridation was there a significant population of people at the time who were opposed to it? Yeah. Because, because I don't, I don't know. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, you know, we would get those health and films in school and they were propaganda films, you know, they were left over from the days of fifties and sixties propaganda films. And so, fluoridating the water it's the most amazing thing we've ever done to public health and saving your teeth and, da, da, da. and so you you believe that everybody was on board with it but looking back now you know that there's a there's a huge pile of crackpots who are against it still but the question is how big was the pile of crackpots back then and and were they crackpots at the time because it was a new because it was a new treatment. And that's our question here. Are the people looking at this treatment at that time and saying, this is a bad idea? Are they are they tomorrow's crackpots or are they that day's um, uh, uh, clairvoyant seers of doom and bad well, ideas? They're not and, necessarily see it, see it. They're not necessarily seers of things that are wrong. But there, but there is there is an obvious concern when you when you are doing something. Where basically, if you're if you're adding something to the drinking water of the entire nation, if you don't know about what it is that is being added, and you have to assume there is general in, ignorance in the population at large, because we've had years and years and years to learn about this stuff, and also years and years and years to understand the safety of it and its benefits but say they introduce something now into the drinking water for everyone that you or i knew nothing about without knowing anything about it would you go that's a good thing or a bad thing or or would maybe that's the wrong question would you would you think that's maybe a worrying thing that's maybe something that we oughtn't to rush into particularly when you consider who the government is, who is rushing into it. And that's, you know, that's not necessarily that's... paranoia. That is just natural trepidation about doing something so radical and far-reaching when you're not absolutely 100% sure that the thing is safe and beneficial, which we can now say we are 100% sure about these things because hindsight is wonderful. I don't know. I mean, when you when you posed that question, my my thought was, I 
My concern was not about the science of it, because you could check the science. I mean, obviously, you're not an expert, but I mean, you should be able and to... And most people aren't. ...to check the... Yeah, you should be able to check the research and see that it is properly taken care of. But, but, but my absolute concern is that, no, I would not trust anything that, that say, the Trump government thought was a good idea <laughs> to put into the water. Um, be, but it's purely political. It's, it, it, it's, and that's, but that, but that's, that, that's the interesting thing about having the minister in this, because all of this stuff is political. I mean, Doomwatch itself is when, whether it wants to be or not, it is a political outfit. Mm -hmm. It's, its role is inherently political. It is seen by the scientists that it air quotes polices as being a political organization and an arm of the ministry, which you know I think we've probably now established it is. So you you can't I you can't I think judge these things purely on whether whether or not the science is right or wrong, particularly when you consider that the perspective that the general viewing audience might have had on this in nineteen seventy two is a very different one from the audience now in two thousand and twenty. So do you, do you think that, um, back to your fluoridation vaccination chlorination question, um, I, I could envision a very different view of that on this side of the pond than on that side of the pond. And here's why. It, it's very much clear to me that what Hetherington is proposing is that his therapy be adopted by the national health and and basically replacing or substantially diminishing therapy which is expensive and long term so this is actually well, a decision of what this is a decision that, about more, more everyone that, in the country it's, it, it is like fluoridating the water they are going to change what you can get for your health care for everyone in the country that would not happen in the united states because of the way our system is all screwed up but but over there, sure. So I don't, I don't think that is the primary benefit that he identifies. I think what what he's talking about is the saving that you make on. Yes, I guess I guess we are talking about institutions that come under the health service rather than the prison service. But you're talking about the costs associated with long term secure accommodation. These people are being committed. And his treatment is allowing them to be released. And obviously and... that is making huge savings. And I think this is the point where actually the whole They're dichotomy between... talking about long-term between... therapy as well. Well, I the, think the that, did, that, did, that, think that, that is not... That is, a, that is a false dichotomy. And I'm not clear whether, it, whether the episode is guilty of perpetuating this. But you can't... You, you don't necessarily replace therapy with these treatments again i can't help thinking of you know switching to thinking about chemical regulation of the brain or whatever but you don't go well this is one or the other you actually go there is some sort of a a combination here because because it's it, it is perhaps easier to make progress with therapy if you can control things at the same time and you and you can 
in in particular in in Beavis's case, you 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 could be released and continue to have some kind of support, but it it would be much more beneficial to him because he would be re-engaging with society at the same time as receiving that. I did get the impression they were talking about, eh, we'll call it a false dichotomy, but yeah, I, I got the impression that they were like, this guy is going to be in therapy for 10, 20 years. He may never get better. He may never be able to get out or he might, but it's going to take a long time. My treatment, he's going to be out and he's going to be a productive member of society and bingo, bango, bongo. We've got our, we're satellites we're going to put in orbit so we can control them from all over the planet. Ah, we forgot to mention that part was mentioned in this, yeah, in this episode. And, and then, which I thought was very far reaching. I thought they were going to put an antenna on the radio tower, but, uh, <laughs> or post office tower, but, uh, <laughs> instead, but okay. They were, they were progressive. And, I I did get that impression. I and there was something what? Hetherington said in the minister's office that made it sound like I am saving you so much money on health care that that this is, you know, a lot of people are behind this. The health minister and everyone were were in on it. So yeah, yeah. No, it is a public it is a public health money. uh it is it is treated as a public health benefit as opposed to just a therapy that we're talking about whether or not it should be ever allowed. I, I think she was working on the assumption that it was going to be widespread very quickly. Um, so well, that, 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 that question about satellites and radio masts and things just made me think, what, you, what happens when you wander out of range? And is that what Quist was going on about when he suddenly started talking about dead man's handle? Because I didn't quite get it at the time. I, I, I just thought that he was talking about the fact that if, if, so you're in, in the case of a train, you're in control, you're holding the switch at all times. And if you pass out, you can't hold the switch. I yeah. assumed that he was talking about a person being in control of his own actions. You're fine. But the, it, it's a, it's an imprecise analogy, but when you start oh, to see. lose control, then the switch kicks in because you're not you're not holding back anymore. So I, that's where I it's thought a, it's a strange out, it was... it's a strange analogy there because the whole point of the dead man's handle is that you're is that you're doing there is some kind of intervention that is occurring when you're in control yeah. when you're pulling on the handle when you let go of it it goes back to the status quo ante the the, the train is no longer being propelled um, in the case of a train so um what what i what i was wondering was and i don't think this is anything to do with what chris was talking about actually but if you if you built in not exactly a dead man's handle but if you built in a a device that meant that whilst you were in radio contact then you were allowed a certain amount of control over your own brain and as soon as as soon as you went out of radio contract, then it I don't know shut you shut down, you down. You lost conscious yeah. consciousness or something, just as a as a kind of public safety measure. But it obvious, obviously that would be extremely it that would play straight into all of the concerns about civil liberties etc. Which I you know is is maybe the one area where I th I can actually see the connection with the the vaccination and all that kind of thing. Yeah, I 
I mean, I, I'm I'm willing to forgive several things in this episode. Uh, one of which is the fact how easily Beavis was disconnected from the equipment. Yeah. Right. I mean, this is a very, very dangerous man. And but he is being held in a maximum security prison and or research facility. And he is an experiment. And so the prototype is not necessarily going to be what it would be like if they were to let him loose in the public. And so the fact that it was able to be knocked off in a brief struggle. All right. You know, the, the prototype versus the, the production model, very different. I think they'd have to bore it into his brain and, and secure it so that it couldn't. But still, there's batteries, there's, you know, deep tunnels, there's, <laughs> you know, all sorts of things that could cause problems with that program. Um, but that was for the convenience of telling the story and showing what happens if it goes wrong and... I'll I'll let it pass uh, in this case because it is just a test, a test case. But do you see any connection with Brian? Brian Hales wrote another Doom Watch, which was the one which was also set in a hospital and was also about a computer. Was it the Iron Doctor to the patients? Indeed, uh, and yeah. Uh, so in uh, again in in that one, it was about a computer being in control of the patients, although it was a little less nuanced uh, than this one, I think. I think that's a, <laughs> that's a safe uh, statement. It was a little less nuanced. Um, obviously that's his thing. Um... <laughs> well, but is it, but is it, I mean, we're, we're, as far as Doctor Who is concerned, we know him for, for ice warriors and Peladon stories, which don't seem to have much connection with this kind of, this kind of. Uh... The archers. Um, and, uh... Well, I guess, yeah, I guess there isn't a whole lot there in, in either of those. So. But I guess given, you know, here you are, you're going to write from a show about technological or scientific dangers. Maybe he's got a concern there. Uh, I do want to bring one thing up. Um, there is the scene towards the beginning where Anne is trying to interest Quist in this. And Quist is not at all interested. Quist is definitely saying, I don't know. This sounds like it might be a good deal, uh, you know, and apart from the fact that it's got nothing to do with Doomwatch. Can you explain that to me for, for starters? Why has that got nothing to do with Doomwatch? It seems right up Doomwatch's alley. But, but hold on to that for a second. <laughs> if you can explain that, but hang on to that explanation. He's like, it's, it's got nothing to do with that. It's got nothing to do with us. It sounds like a good idea. And Tarrant says to him, what if it had been John Ridge? And, and then suddenly Quist gets that sort of, what if it had actually been a real human being that I knew or cared about? I, is that, does that also support this sort of, sure, on paper, it's a great idea and go ahead and do it to a bunch of other people. But once it hits close to home, suddenly people realize, no, no, I'm not, I'm not so much in favor of that. Cause you know, a lot of times people will be very, uh, selfish in that way sure vaccinate all your kids that way my kid won't get it and i don't have to give him vaccinations <laughs> i yeah i don't know because i don't it didn't feel it didn't feel to me like it's especially in character with quist or at least the kind of previous quist the sort of um single rather irascible um quite authoritarian 
in fact, extremely authoritarian. Uh, although, although I, you know, I don't know, he he might still have some of that, but he he definitely seems to have mellowed somewhat. And even the even in Public Enemy, he was he was very much like, um, oh, you know, we've we've neglected this. We, we we've been we've been warned about it a couple of times. We should be doing something about it. Uh, we should have been some, doing something about it. And yet, when Tarrant brings something to him that, as you say, seems very much Doomwatch's area of of work, he doesn't go. He doesn't even. He doesn't even make an excuse. Just he he's brushing it off like he's gone native in the civil service, and he's just going, "Oh, you know, can, can that be someone else's problem?" I I've got plenty of work to do. I just want to sit here and listen to your record player, darling. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't get his argument that said this was not Doomwatch. It, it felt Doomwatch to me. Part of me wondered if it was a if it was a way that was contrived in order to mention John Ridge in this episode because it seems to me like the the the, the interesting things going on with with John Ridge and I don't know exactly what. Um, precipitated this but it feels like Simon Oates has has decided that he doesn't want to be as committed to Doomwatch the show as he was when he when he was having to do every single episode bit like when David Duchovny left the X-Files and that was a bit disastrous yeah well he he obviously felt that he didn't want to commit as much of his time so that he was able to pursue other projects but in the show you got a big arc about you know where is Mulder and that that was a kind of a story arc that actually revolved around Mulder even though what it was actually revolving around was the absence of Mulder and it almost feels like what's going on in Doomwatch series three is that we get a little bit of John Ridge. So we've had a couple of episodes with John Ridge in, one of which had a lot of John Ridge in it. Um, but the others seem to need to mention John Ridge to remind us that the John Ridge arc is still occurring and that, you know, John Ridge is, is gone but not forgotten. Yeah, I I don't know if that pays off. I, I well, And we probably will never find out. It, we may not find out because it it may be something that didn't make its way into the rest of the series. Though, until until I mean, I I don't I I'm very deliberately avoiding finding out anything about what happens from here on. So there may be stuff from the scripts that we can that that that, that is information that's available to us from the surviving scripts and so forth, or the one remaining episode that we still have to watch. I don't know. Yeah. Well. I don't know that I have anything else on this particular episode. I've only got the one thing, which was that um, I, I I quite enjoyed the the um, as a, as I say it was, it was a well constructed episode, nicely directed, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. In particular, the scene where Beavis is entering the house and taking the shotgun to the sound of Terry Wogan on the radio was a really really nice touch. I thought I don't know whether that was in the script or whether it was just a uh, an improvised piece of direction, but it's the kind it's the kind of incongruity you get of a of a psychopath grabbing a firearm while you get the kind of everyday background babble of someone as inane as as Wogan as a DJ. <laughs> well, I know 
vaguely who Terry Wogan is. Um, I know him as a television personality. Um, and then very little. I, I've seen clips of Wogan doing interviews with a few people, but I, I don't know enough about him that I didn't know that. I didn't recognize his voice oh, he's, on he's the radio. Very recognizable. It was actually that was fairly well constructed uh, from a directorial standpoint as well. Him skulking yes. around. I didn't really notice it the rest of the episode, but the whole thing, seeing the kid, seeing through the door cracks and, and all that stuff was, was pretty well done. Uh, I was genuinely in doubt for the life of that woman and those kids. Yes. Yeah. Through, through the episode. So yeah, well done there. All right. Well, uh, next time when we get around to doom watch, we skip uh, some more and it is the, the never aired episode of doom watch. If I am not mistaken, sex and violence, sex and violence, doing yes. sex and violence. And you're right; it, it's it's the it survived, but it was never broadcast, which is intriguing. So we'll see if it was never broadcast because it's just so bad, no one would want to watch it, or if it's something that's so bad, Mary Whitehouse wouldn't want you watching. Well, I, I think I, I'm sure there is a story behind it, but we'll we'll get to that next time. Indeed, Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure as always, listeners. I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Find out how you can be a sponsor and get early access to all episodes and more at Patreon.com/slash Fusion Patrol. Come join the conversation on Facebook or Twitter. All episodes are available at FusionPatrol.com. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.